Before we get to our scripture today, I um, want to highlight um, a few more things going on uh, shortly. One, starting tomorrow. Um, tomorrow we have the beginning of our summer enrichment program. And um, that means uh, over the summer, over 10 weeks of the summer, we'll have just around 70 kids coming to our church. Yeah, it's really, uh, it's going to be a happening place. Um, sometimes in the summertime, the church office can be kind of quiet and uh, not this summer. And I'm, I'm just very, very thrilled. Um, Nina uh, has been, uh, it's hard to um, put into words the, uh, the work um, that she has gone about uh, over the last m- several months, um, even 12 months. It's, it's not an overstatement in preparing for the summer enrichment program. Um, and she has enlisted how many teachers and helpers? A dozen or so? Um, some, some very capable hands to be caring for kids. And our intent this summer is to nurture their hearts and help them to, to know the love of Jesus Christ. Um, so I want to pray for Nina and for the, um, the workers. I know uh, sub, several of them may be here today that I'll be teaching, you know, uh, Lydia and Susan, um, Susan Brady and Lydia Hughes are helping out. Anyone else here? I know Dorothy Clem is going to be one of the teachers as well. I want to say a prayer for um, Nina and our teachers and our kids that will be participating over the summer. And then also, one more thing, um, Pierre mentioned the Sunday school class starting next Sunday with our sermons. Um, I'm going to be talking about three critical emotions that can either kind of derail your faith or they can lead you to God and and into a stronger walk with God. Um, So we'll be talking about good emotional and mental health um, and how that is critical to being spiritually mature. One of uh, the helpful phrases that I've learned, and I think it is very true, it it is impossible to be spiritually mature yet remain emotionally immature. Those two things go hand in hand, our, our emotional maturity and our spiritual maturity. So that's what we're going to talk about in June, and I encourage you to, um, to come participate in that class and to come listen to the sermons. And so let's, let's pray as we um, get ready to uh, receive from God's Word. Heavenly Father, thank you for your goodness, and we celebrate... Um, the Summer Enrichment Program and how you have brought life to that and you've used Nina in her leadership. Um, you have enlisted uh, 10 to 12 teachers and leaders to nurture the hearts of these children and you have brought uh, and will be bringing to Hope Church um, about 70, 18 months through five-year-olds and have given us the opportunity to be a part of uh, your work in their hearts. Thank you for that 
opportunity and for that responsibility. We ask for your blessings, Father, as they arrive for their first day tomorrow. We ask for your blessings on our leaders, teachers, Nina the director, the kids that will be present, that you'd be filling them, filling our adults with love and kindness and patience and enthusiasm, that you would um, be blessing the operations of the summer enrichment program. We know that there are so many little things that can um, uh, not go exactly as the, uh, the, the adults would want them to go, but we know that um, you work through um, good and you work through little um, incidents along the way and you bring about good. And, and we give to you the entire summer of these kids meeting together. We ask for your blessings on it all. We pray that um, through this you would be leading these little hearts to know Jesus Christ and you would be strengthening their faith and that you'd be blessing the families, um, not just children, but parents as well, of everyone who attends. Um, Be with them throughout the summer, but in particular tomorrow. Um, Father, we pray for a great start. In Jesus' name, amen. It is Celebration Sunday, celebrating lots of things, aren't we? Um, Celebrating our confirmation students, celebrating summer enrichment programs, celebrating our baptisms. We're baptizing five people um, at at the end of the worship service. Um, We often think of celebrations as something we do when we finish something or something is completed. But in this case... We are celebrating beginnings. Baptism is not the end of anyone's spiritual journey. It's, in some cases, the beginning. In other words, baptism isn't something that happens after you have all the, the right answers um, about God and Christ. You don't have to pass the exam. Um, you don't have to get an A on it to be baptized. Um, it, baptism marks the beginning, in many cases, of a journey of faith, or just an important, a very important step um, along the road in a journey of faith. Um, Acts chapter 2 tells the story of God sending his Holy Spirit to dwell in believers. Onlookers see um, this happen, the Holy Spirit coming upon believers, and they ask Peter, well, what do we need to do in response to what we just saw? Um, Acts chapter 2, verse 38 uh, says this. uh, Peter answers, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So baptism is not something that you do at the end. It's something that you do at the beginning in your journey of following Jesus. And what I want to look at today is the story of an individual in the Scriptures who did not have all the answers. Um, But he's kind of our example of being a good student of the faith. So let's turn to um, Acts chapter 18. We're going to look at verses 24 through 28. Meanwhile, a Jew named Apollos, a native of Alexandria, came to Ephesus. And he was a learned man. With a thorough knowledge of the scriptures, he had been instructed in the way of the Lord, and he spoke with great fervor 
and taught about Jesus accurately, though he knew only the baptism of John, meaning John the Baptist. He began to speak boldly in the synagogue. Now when Priscilla and Aquila heard him, they invited him to their home and explained to him the way of God more adequately. When Apollos wanted to go to Achaia, the brothers and sisters encouraged him and wrote to the disciples there to welcome him. When he arrived, he was a great help to those who by grace had believed, for he vigorously refuted his Jewish opponents in public debate, proving them approving from the scriptures that Jesus was the Messiah. Um, I want to look at Apollos as this good example of being a student of Jesus. What does Apollos Apollos, um, show us about being a good student of Jesus? We have a lot of students in this room right now. They are done with school, but they are not done with being students because we're students of Jesus, right? Um, So first of all, we find out from Apollos that a good student of Jesus is a lifelong learner. Now let me, I don't know if that is an inspiring thought or not to you, being a lifelong learner. I'm going to give you three points of why, um, as Christians, um, we are, or should be, considering ourselves lifelong learners of Jesus. Um, one, let's look at what Apollo shows us, um, and, and that is this. There's always something to learn about Jesus. Apollos was incredibly gifted. Just think through some of those descriptors that were said of Apollos in verses 24 and 25. We'll put them on the screen and just walk through these. He was a learned man. Um, he had... A thorough knowledge of the scripture. So, you know, people are noticing this about Apollos um, and what a, what a great mind he had. And um, he was instructed in the ways of the Lord. I mean, he, he knew of Jesus Christ. Um, we read that he was familiar with the baptism of John the Baptist. John's baptism was um, something that John did for people who were repenting of their sins. John the Baptist, repenting of their sins. He taught about the coming of the Messiah, Jesus Christ. And... Um, He said, because the Messiah is coming, you need to get your life together. Get your act together. And those who wanted to get their act together and turn from their sins were baptized by John. Um, We read about Apollos that he spoke with great fervor. And the word for fervor means uh, burning hot, like with fire. So you can imagine him preaching these sermons. Um, and and he was he was getting all riled up in his sermons. Um, he was speaking with fire, kind of like Billy Graham. If you heard Billy Graham, just really get riled up in one of his sermons. And maybe Apollos was uh, like that. So he was very engaging to listen to, a charismatic um, individual. You might remember in 
um, Paul's letter to the Corinthians, his first letter. He's addressing the, the Christians at Corinth, and apparently some of them were bragging about who they followed. Some bragged about following Paul. Some bragged about following Apollos. And so these Christians um, saw Apollos as a very charismatic individual. He was on fire with his teaching. He taught about Jesus accurately. He was very respected. But, as we'll see, he didn't know the whole truth about Jesus. He didn't know everything that he needed to know about Jesus. There's always something to learn about Jesus. And Apollos was willing to learn. That's the impressive thing about Apollos. He was willing to learn more about Jesus. Um, Two, why we need to be lifelong learners. In order to love God resolutely, you must learn robustly. Uh, If you don't like the words resolutely and robustly, you can choose whatever synonym adverbs you want and go in their place. I just like the sounds of resolutely and robustly. But the point is, in order to love God fully, what we believe about God is really, really important. Jesus says in Mark chapter 12, verse 30, When he was asked, what is the most important commandment? He said, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind and with all your strength. So loving God with your mind means thinking correctly about God because what we think about God influences our love for God. Um, In order for us to love, maybe our spouse is falling, we have to be thinking (laughs) about our spouses in the right way, believing um, in their heart and their intent and um, about all of those wonderful attributes of them, um, why we love them. And the same is true for God. And three, uh, you might want to write this one down. Uh, What does the word disciple mean? Does anyone know what disciple means? Student, I heard student, and heard something else from over here, but I didn't hear what it was. Oh, like a fo- like a follower. Um, it's very related to follower, very related to student. It's it's a learner. A disciple is a learner, um, and in order to be a disciple, it means we're learning about um, about Jesus, about the Lord. Um, what it means to follow him. We identify ourselves with people that learn about um, Christ. Um, and one of the reasons why I bring this up is I think we can take a summer break on our learning about the Lord. Um, but this is what it means to be a disciple. It means to continuously learn because there's always something more to learn about Jesus. Uh, We have many opportunities to learn here at Hope Church. When you think about the people that we have teaching um, our our classes, Um, Pierre mentioned the class that he's going to be starting next Sunday. Um, Pierre's an ordained minister. Um, He's a grad of of Moody Bible um, College. Um, Wayne Stauffer, one of our other teachers, 
college professor. I mean, these are people who are um, uh, not just, um, they don't have just the intellectual goods, they have the spiritual goods. Um, great teachers. Lindy Baker, my goodness, she's written several books on uh, walking the Christian walk. Um, Mike Wilson. Uh, if you haven't been to Mike Wilson's, one of his uh, classes, I think he's doing one in July. Um, he will teach you things about the Greek language, and it's not like it's Greek to me. It's like he's really teaching you uh, the depth of the meaning of the scriptures. Oh, we have wonderful, wonderful um, um, teachers in our in our church, and um, if you want to do some learning, if you want to be devoted and learning. I really encourage you to uh, go to one of their classes. Uh, next point about what we learn from Apollos about being a good student. Um, a good student of Jesus is humble. Apollos was from Alexandria. Uh, Alexandria at the time was one, uh, it was either the top or one of the top two intellectual headquarters of the world. Um, Athens may have been the other one. Athens and Alexandria. If you wanted to go and hear from the brightest minds, you went to one of those two um, cities. Uh, if you don't like geometry, I'm sorry to tell you this, that Euclid, um, lived, he was from Alexandria. So the, the guy who invented geometry, um, he was from Alexandria. The Septuagint. That is our Greek translation of the Old Testament that was written by the intellectual scholars living in Alexandria. Um, Alexandria boasted the largest library in the world at the time. And if you might remember from history, it was tragically burned down. We lost all those ancient volumes. Um, but it, it boasted the, the, the best and most impressive library. Very intellectual um, city, like today, if you're thinking of kind of modern examples like Oxford or, or Cambridge or College Station, places like that. Um, uh, this, this is the, this is the uh, <laughs> academic environment Apollos grew up in. Half of you are like, what are you talking about? Um, and Priscilla and Aquila, they were tent makers. These are the people that taught Apollos. They were tent makers, not quite the intellectual elite that Apollos was used to. Um, they just weren't on the same level. And they heard Apollos speaking very, um, very well in the synagogue and thought, well, I mean, this, this guy, he's a, he's a good speaker. Uh, he's really nice, They're a really good fellow, nice young man. Um, but something's missing, they might have thought as they listened to him. Um, and so you can imagine afterward them approaching Apollos and saying, Apollos, that was, that was a fine talk. We really enjoyed it. But we wanted to know if you would allow us to share some other important things that we think you need to know. Do you mind if we have you over to our home? And, and, and I mean, just imagine these, these two Christians going up to this intellectual Apollos and making that offer. Think of Apollos' background, with all of his education. Um, 
And likely he heard plenty of praises about himself from all these people. Um, and you, know, you might be able to put yourself in Apollos' shoes. Think about something you're really good at, a skill, maybe something from your profession, uh, maybe an athletic talent. Um, and, you know, junior hires thinking of like an elementary kid coming up to you and saying, hey, you're pretty good at that, but can I teach you something new? You know, or adults, you know, in our, in our workplaces, kind of the rookie coming into the company, and you're, you're, you're a seasoned veteran and, and very accomplished at what you do, and a person coming up to you and saying, hey, let me show you a few tricks. You know, I don't know. You might be pretty quick to say, eh, thanks, but no thanks. I'm, I'm good. Um, but not Apollos. Um, Apollos could have declined, could have said, yeah, I can't come over, I'm sorry, or could have just blew up, blown him off. But he didn't. He said, sure. He's very humble. Um, humility can be hard. We talked about Alexandria. Well, Ephesus also was a pretty impressive city. Um, Ephesus boasted the uh, temple to Artemis, which was just, I mean, it was one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. Um, this temple, fantastic temple, uh, about... Uh, well over a football field in length, about 150 yards long, um, longer than that, and 60 yards wide. Think about a football field, a little bigger, six stories tall, these pillars that were in front of this temple. Just a beautiful temple. Um, very impressive. People would come all around from the Mediterranean to Ephesus to go to this temple. And you can live in that kind of environment where there's just beautiful big buildings around and start getting a little a little puffed up with yourself and thinking, hey, we're, you know, we, we got it. We got it. We're, you know, we're, we're living the, the good life. We can be surrounded by affluence and get deceived into having a prideful attitude. Um, and think about prideful attitudes. You know, prideful attitudes generally don't say, oh, I don't need God at all. I mean, there are many, many, many people that would say, yeah, I, I need God. I need God when life starts falling apart. Boy, I, yeah, I, I, I need to know that God is, is there to reach his hand out to me when I'm drowning and desperate. Um, you might remember a song from several decades ago, um, People Need the Lord. It was a real popular song. Um, I don't know if it gets sung too often in churches these days, but has this line in, People Need the Lord at the end of Broken Dreams. He's the open door. People need the Lord. A lot of people say that. I need this at the end of broken dreams, God. Well, here's the deal. We, we need the at the end of the broken dreams, God, but we need the at the beginning to help shape your dreams, God. We need the every day to keep my dreams focused on Him, God. We need God every day in our life, not just at the end of broken dreams. And humility is saying that, saying, God... I need you not just when things are falling apart, but I need you now. I need you when things are good because my heart will go astray when things are good. I'll start turning things into idols when things are good. I need you every day, God. It's saying, I need to learn all I can about you, God, and what it means to follow God and how I can go about following you, God. And I need that desperately. And Apollos display that kind of humility. And third point, 
um, about being a good student of Jesus. A good student of Jesus is grounded in grace. So I wonder what Priscilla and Aquila noticed about Paul's, uh, Apollos' speaking, his, his preaching and teaching. And maybe they didn't hear anything about Jesus' death and resurrection. Apollos knew about Christ, but is limited in that understanding. Maybe he didn't talk about Jesus' suffering on the cross. Um, forgiveness of sins, the resurrection of Christ, the, the gift of the Holy Spirit. It's likely that Apollos knew of Jesus being the Messiah, but maybe not that the Messiah died on the cross so that his sins could be forgiven and he could receive new life through grace. It could be that hearing Apollos preach and teach was like hearing a great moralistic message, like a you-can-do-it message. Last week at my daughter's Kate's uh, graduation, we, we heard just a tremendous commencement speech. It was wonderful. This, the speaker was, was very inspiring. Um, and very motivating. And essentially, he was talking about overcoming failures in his own life and just his persistence and keeping at it and keeping going. And, and you, you mess up, you, you, you get turned down, you fail, you get back up and you keep going. This guy was, he really was motivating. At, at the end of this talk, he, he looked at the students and said, you know what? Let me, let me tell you the, the thing that's going to derail you the most. And he held out his cell phone and said, this right here, this is your worst enemy. He took out his mobile phone, his smartphone. And he was so motivating that all of us in the audience were about to throw away all of our mobile phones because we were like, right on. Um, but it was, it was this, you can do it message. You can, if you stumble and fall, just pick yourself up and get back up again. And sometimes we can apply that mentality to what we think about being a Christian is all about, just trying really hard. And, you know, if you mess up, get back up again and try harder and keep going. And I, I, think, I think obedience and following Christ and, and being... Um, Committed to obeying Christ, that's really important. But there comes a time when you won't be able to get back up again by yourself. Uh, you know, you'll, you will, um, maybe you'll fall into some sin, um, and it's been a repeated sin, and you'll think, man, I did it again. I did it again. Is that, is that my last chance? Was that my last chance? And you won't be able to get back up again yourself. Or maybe you'll think, you know, I never really gave my heart to Christ. I'm coming to know this. And um, I went through the motions of what makes me think that I can just turn to him now, you know, and I'll be, I'll be fine. Because for years and years and years, I've been just kidding myself with my faith. And you won't be able to get back up again by yourself. Or maybe you will um, you'll think you'll have some particular sin mastered that's not a problem for you anymore, and then all one day, all of a sudden, you just kind of fall back in it. Much easier than you thought um, to fall back into it, and you'll feel like a failure. And sometimes we just cannot get back up on 
our own two feet by ourselves. And grounding yourself in grace means realizing that it's, it's God who picks you up, right? It's God who picks you up and, and wipes the dust off of you. It's God's grace that brings goodness into your life. It's, it's by grace that we come to faith in Christ in the first place. Did you notice that? Verse 27, uh, when Apollos arrived... He was a great help to those who by grace had believed. It's by God's grace that, that we believe in the first place. It's by God's grace that we are forgiven of our sins so that we can walk in this restored relationship with God. It is by grace that we are saved. As, as Philip Yancey and many others have put it, uh, grace means there is nothing we can do to make God love us more and grace means there is nothing we can do to make God love us less we walk in grace we live by God's grace and when you respond to God's grace by believing in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior who died for you on the cross the way that that God looks at Jesus Christ with all of God's love and delight for His Son, Jesus Christ, that gets applied to you. That's what grace teaches us. And there's nothing that you can do that will disqualify yourself from that, from God looking at you the way that He looks at His Son, Jesus. That's grace. And when you really get that and understand grace, it changes you. It cannot help but change you. And here's how. You know, how do you get from mental knowledge about God to heart knowledge? It's, it's through grace. Maybe I don't have that on the slide. Knowing God's grace moves belief from your head to your heart. There it is. Moving, knowing God's grace moves belief from your head to your heart. Something happened with Apollos. Verse 25 says that he had been instructed in the way of the Lord. And that word for instructed is, um, it's the word catecheo in the Bible. That's where we get our word catechism, um, or catechize someone. It's also where we get our word echo, where you hear something and you repeat back, or you hear something repeated. So a catechism, you might think, is, is that teaching tool that through repetition gets something into your mind. You memorize it. You repeat it over and over and over again. I think there's a good place for that kind of learning within the church. you just memorizing stuff, but it can stay in our head. And what Apollo shows is when we understand grace, that head knowledge works its way down into our heart. And verse 28 we read, I don't have this on the screen, but at verse 28 we read that after he spent time with Priscilla and Aquila and they taught him about God's grace, he vigorously refuted his Jewish opponents, proving Jesus was indeed the Messiah. So something changed in his teaching, his preaching, his life. I believe his faith had become about Jesus and the need to turn to Jesus and trust in the grace of Jesus Christ. I think that's what happened when he spent that time with Priscilla and Aquila. So there's the example of Apollos. And what about you this morning? 
is learning about God something that you're committed to. You cannot be a disciple without continual learning from Jesus Christ because that is what a disciple is. Or maybe you're like Apollos, how he was before his time with Priscilla and Aquila, and maybe had this moralistic idea of Christianity. It's about just trying hard and following what God wants you to do and staying away from sin and identifying Christianity with just that, just the obedience part. That it's about being the right kind of person, this moralistic message. But if that's all that we make our Christianity be, there will be that time when you fall down and you cannot get back up yourself and you need God's grace. So today I invite you to, to take a humble position before God. And that's what baptism is, is, this humble position before God. It's not just what baptism is, but it's one of the things that baptism is. Taking this humble position before God saying, God, I need your grace and I'm ready. I'm ready to live this life for you. I'm ready to rely on your grace to pick me up when I can't get up by myself. I'm ready for your Holy Spirit to come into me and give me life. It's about grace. Let me pray. Heavenly Father, thank you that you uh, give your grace in abundance. Thank you that uh, we have this example of Apollos, this humble fella who... Um, had so many things going for him, but he recognized that he was missing the most important thing, and that's just life with Jesus Christ and relying upon Christ dying on the cross for his sins. And Father, we pray that you would help us as we get ready to celebrate life in Christ through baptism, that um, that uh, you would remind us of your grace and forgiveness in you that we will rest in your love and that your grace would prepare our hearts so that we can live anew in devotion to you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.